Uh, take uh, your Bible and look to uh, Dr. Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter uh, 22, as uh, we've been endeavoring, and the end is in sight. If you look at it, there's only 24 chapters, but we are coming uh, to the end of the doctor's gospel, uh, this gospel making certain uh, of uh, the gospel of Jesus. I've entitled the message today, The Kiss of Death. The Kiss of Death. Bill, am I loud enough with this? Am I okay? Yeah, my ears are a little plugged, so I'm, I'm uh, down the hallway and over in the corner somewhere. So if I have too loud, you know, just open your eyes real wide and I'll get the nonverbal signals. The kiss of death. You know, a kiss is the surest, sweetest expression of affection. It really is, isn't it? The same God who gave us hearts for love also gave us lips for kissing. Say, what pastor preach on today? On kissing. Greet everyone. We could practice greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, that, there is a command in Scripture on that. Check uh, First Thessalonians, and we go, and I go, yuck, <laughs> yuck. That's what I used to say when I was a young kid before I discovered girls. Yuck. Boy, that changed in a hurry, didn't it? Kissing in our family. My mother was a great kisser. Uh, her mother was a great kisser. My father, German engineer, not so much. <laughs> but, but my mother would kiss her kids all the time. And I, you know, I, Faith and I are like that. I, I, I love kissing, you know. I, I don't want to say too much to embarrass you, but I got the greatest pride in all the world. And, uh, and I kiss my kids. I mean, I saw Jonathan, I, I kiss my boys, I kiss them, I and forget the grandgirls. Holy cow, I'm surprised they're not swimming in our, my, my kisses. <laughs> kiss them all the time. I, I get that from my mother. When she told me, uh, when her mother was, uh, had had a, um, a stroke, she was in a nursing home. She was 88, and uh, she just instantly had a stroke. Was lying there. She was ready to meet Jesus, and my mother was there. And they came and they got her, and they said, Gee, you might, "We don't know how long your mom's going to live yet. You know, you want, might want to come in." So when she came in, she was laying on the bed with her eyes shut, and she goes, "Oh, mom! Oh, mom! Are you there, mom? Oh, mom!" And and as she recounted it, I almost started crying with joy. She goes like. Mom, you cannot leave until you give me one more kiss. Now, here's my grandmother. Laying in bed, and that's it. She puckers up in bed. And my mother lays a kiss on her. And within 10 minutes, she was in heaven. When I say that, kissing is sort of a thing in our family. Uh, my, my father sort of didn't know. He never really got used to it. He grew up in military school and, and that kind of a thing. But, so when I say that, I'm speaking right out of my heart here when I say God gave us a heart to love and lips for kissing. In fact, you maybe didn't know this, the same Greek word for love, phileo. You know, you know the word phileo from Philadelphia, brotherly love, relational love, phileo. You know, in the Greek, it's the same word changed just a little bit for kissing. And the idea in the Greek world was to kiss was to love, and to love was to kiss. And that relational Philadelphia, you know how they're, you ever go there? They're always hugging in Philly, you know, like, uh, hey, give me my wallet back. And I, got, I had a car stolen there. Yeah, I know, they borrowed it, and then, you know, that kind of thing. But phileo and kissing, almost the same word. Philassi, uh, Philadelphia, and to kiss is to love. Consider the beauty of the first kiss shared by a bride and groom. I always love, I've married hundreds of couples through the years. I always have the best seat for that. You know, you may kiss the bride, you know, and he lays, lays one on. Some just, 
you know, the whole thing, some just a little, little peck kind of thing there. But how sweet. Everybody looks for that, right? And you go to the reception, I always feel ripped off if we don't have real metal and glass. You know? What's this plastic? I can't, I can't, we can't embarrass them by watching them kiss. Don't we love that? It's so sweet. It's beautiful. There they are. They're up there. Oh, we made them kiss again. You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, we, that, say, will you calm that pastor down there? I have more, hey, look, God created it, right? Consider the kiss shared by a couple after settling a quarrel. Now, I know that's not of you. You never fight. But uh, just imagine, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> In your imagination, after a quarrel or a fight, you never fight, right? Uh, that, you know, that's, you know, makeup, you know, that's pretty good. Consider the last kiss given by her mother to her son before he leaves home. I remember that with my mama. She cried like a baby. She knew better than I did at that point, it, life would never, ever be the same again. It was the ending of a chapter, and the Lord, we commit him to you then. And, and she was right. She right at that point. Uh, consider the kiss given by dad as he tucks his little daughter in bed for the night. Oh, boy, that takes me back for my little Sarah. Consider that, how beautiful that is. And consider the tender kisses of a husband and wife in their golden years. Isn't that beautiful? How beautiful that. A kiss is love. A kiss is beauty. We, we understand that. We understand that universally. It, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, and for a, you know, even for a couple, you know, to, to uh, a dad, a mom in that situation to, uh, to kiss. Uh, I know our kids always uh, like, oh, if they caught Faithy and I kissing, oh, that's gross. But you know what? They loved it. They loved it. Oh, they loved it. You know what? Why? It's beautiful. Well, how terrible then, all that to say, how terrible to take such a uniform, universal expression of love and twist it into something that's a signal for treachery, betrayal, where it really was in this case, and the case we're going to look at here in Luke's Gospel, the kiss of death. And I looked that up, and that's a mafioso term. Did you know that? Some don't think there was ever a mafia. Please don't go outside. It's dangerous, you know. <laughs> but the kiss of death, and it actually had that. It had two, two meanings. Kiss of death. Judas's kiss of Jesus, number one, of course. Number two, the, the crime mob boss gives a kiss to one that's goodbye. <laughs> and he was not going to live long because he felt like he was betrayed. And so it was the kiss of death, and they'd find him soon in a body bag. Well, how terrible to take such a universal expression of love and twist it into treachery, betrayal. This kiss from Judas would seal Jesus' hour of suffering and as it led to the cross and to his death, and I say, how horrible, how horrible is, is that? Well, there are three reminders in our text here today in, in Luke 22, verses 47 53. Three reminders, and they come from three individuals. Um, as we observe the Lord's arrest in the Garden of Prayer in Gethsemane. This was the day that evil seemed to finally triumph. I mean, it was the day of midnight, if you will. You know, people love watching arrests. Have you ever noticed that? They do. They do. I, we were driving uh, on the uh, interstate yesterday, and the cops had people pulled over. People slow up, and they kind of watch that. It's the same thing in the neighborhood. You know, the cops come by, and if the sirens are on, people come outside and go like, what, what, what's going on? And they're kind of interested in that. And uh, now that setting, I'll see it. Now, 
look beyond the physical garden here, I, I dare say all the universe was watching when light met dark and dark seemed to prevail at the arrest of Jesus that night. And it was signaled by a kiss of betrayal. And it seemed that evil finally triumphed from the very first of days. Well, three individuals provide the reminders for us as we observe the Lord's arrest in the Garden of Prayer. Uh, the first is Judas, and then we're going to look at Peter, representing the disciples, and then finally the Lord Jesus. The first reminder is we watch the Lord's arrest, and let's read our text first so we get into the text. Now look at verse 47 of Luke's Gospel, verse chapter 22. And while Jesus was still speaking, uh, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and club? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. But this is, you can underline it, your hour and the power of darkness. It was the hour of darkness to shorten that. Well, three reminders. The first one comes from Judas. Verses 47 and 8, his dastardly deed reminds us that privilege is no guarantee of salvation or of spiritual benefit for that matter. Privilege, privilege is no guarantee. I say this in a haunting way as a pastor because wherever I have taught and wherever I have taught the word as pastor, I always want everyone to go with me and end up in glory. We're just passing through. And, uh, you know, I know the reality is, is that there are Judases, people that seem to be very privileged and open to the Word and maybe long-standing members or members of a class that, that, that seem to be like part of the group and part of the family of God, but in reality, there's no real heart change. I often think about that uh, with my, the, the kids I grew up with in my church. And I've, I've lost track of many of them, but there's some of them that are so far, I hear, they're so far away from the things of the Lord. And I, and I know it's not over yet. I, I know it's not over. I look like, what happened? They seem to be, they were the leaders of the senior high group or this and that. And where are they? Some are there, of course, some. But where are the others? They had such a privilege. We, we were not in a mainline liberal church. We were a church that believed the gospel, that there was a lot of love expressed had a world for mission and a view for that and sent all call. I mean, it was that kind of a vibrant church. And, uh, and so Judas reminds us, his dastardly deed reminds us that privilege, and he was so privileged, no guarantee of salvation or any spiritual benefit at all. When push came to shove, this Judas, this fake, betrayed his Lord and, and, and showed his real colors. Judas led Jesus' enemies right to a secret place, the garden of prayer. 
He had been there many times with the Lord. He had prayed with the Lord there. He had heard the Lord pray. He knew it well. He knew it even in darkness. You know, after dark, sometimes it's a little hard to find your way through uh, the countryside. And, but he knew right where it was because he had been there numbers of time. And he led this, uh, this large band, this contingency of soldiers, uh, the high priest, uh, and uh, the elders. Uh, you follow me, I will take you to him uh, even after dark. As he approached Jesus and kissed him, uh, Luke doesn't, in so many words, tell us that, uh, that Judas kissed him, uh, but uh, Mark and uh, Matthew, their account of this occasion, both say that he actually kissed him. And uh, this action is so horrible, I, I, I have to tell you, it's beyond adequate description. How do you describe something like that? It's, uh, it's beyond description. Though kissing was common, a common greeting in that culture, it still expressed friendship and love. It was, just not, it was more than just a handshake. In the West, uh, the men will shake hands, sometimes give a, an embrace, uh, something like that. But in the, in the, and we see it when we go to Qatar, that the men will kiss the men and the ladies the ladies. On each, on each cheek, and you'll see it sometimes in France, sometimes you'll see the French, and some of the other cultures are that way. Uh, it, it's a form of greeting. And in the ancient Middle East, it was the same way, this greeting of a kiss like that. But it was more than just a handshake. Hey, the one I shake hand. No, it was more than that. It implied friendship, it implied love, and so uh, the kiss makes it even more evil. Matthew's account tells uh, that this was the sign that Judas said by which he would identify which one of the group was Jesus. In Matthew 26, 48, you check it. The one I will kiss is the man. How cold is that? I mean, how cold? I mean, it's the Iceman going through here. They want to make sure they got the right guy uh, in, under the cover of darkness. And it needed to be under darkness because it all symbolized the spiritual evil and darkness of the hour, this hour of darkness that was falling. Well, see, Luke emphasizes the horror of, the, of this evil by saying Judas, one of the twelve. Now, we all know he was one of the twelve, right? It was like, oh, oh, Luke, thanks for telling us that he's one of the twelve. We've already figured that out after 21 chapters that Judas is one of the twelve. That's not his point. His point is to emphasize the fact is, and I, I think I put on your sheet, it, it's like saying, yeah, there it is. Can you believe it? It's like one of the, can you believe that the one who would betray him to death was uh, one that had such high and great privilege? It's like it's beyond belief is what he's saying here. Well, like what does that mean? Well, we could, we could spend the rest of our time talking about it. I've listed at least five things here. What was, what was Judas's privilege? First, he was uh, chosen by the Lord in the early days of his ministry to be one of the general disciples, means a follower. But then more than that, he was selected after a night of prayer in the direction and leading of the Father to be one of the elite 12. One of the elite. One of the elite. We think of that with the elite eight in basketball, right? We may, we're making to the elite eight, right? The basketball tournament, NCAA elite. Here's the elite 12. I remember when I was a kid, NASA picked the first astronauts. I had a book on it. In fact, that was my desire in 1961 to be a, what do you want to be? I'll be an astronaut, you know. And it was the, the, the seven, 
you know, the seven, you remember that, Gus Grissom, Alan Carpenter, John Glenn, and the, and the, whole, the, the whole gang of that seven. And what an elite group of uh, test pilots and, and everything. Well, here's Judas, one of the 12 out of thousands. Wow. Man, that's privilege. Imagine it. Second, he was privileged to be present at most of Jesus' teaching. That's what a disciple was. A Methetes was a learner, a student. And in that day, you'd follow your teacher around. Some of you know of Socrates and the students following. It was a very similar format. That's what the three-year program was, to teach you. You lived with him, you ate with him, he taught. He heard him teach the thousands. It was private teaching. I mean, he heard that he, all the way even up to the early part of the upper room earlier that night. I mean, he had a front-row seat. The, even private instruction, when he started teaching in parables, Matthew 13, the crowd didn't get it. And they asked him, you know, why are you speaking parables? It's not given to them, but this is what it means. He got private tutoring in a small group here. This is what, I mean, Judas had no I mean, He was filled up with the teaching of the Lord. But more than that, three, he had seen all the miracles of Jesus. Am amazing. I mean, just let's suggest a couple. He was in the boat that was saved that night at sea. How about that? Lord, don't you, you don't care about us that you're sleeping here? You know, they woke him up. The Lord calms the sea and instantly calm, and they make it to the other side. I mean, he was there. He saved his life, we might say, right? And he also fed him. He was one of the disciples at the feeding of the 5,000, one of the two occasions where a mass feeding went on from the little boy's lunch. I mean, he had fed him. He had protected him. He had, he had experienced all of these things. In his grace, really, um, you, you might say that uh, he was rescued uh, from danger and provided for his daily needs. One of the twelve, Luke says. Can you believe it? Can you imagine it? I say to you that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, privilege, spiritual privilege, is no guarantee. Our, that's how desperate and wicked and hard-hearted our hearts are. We don't even know our own motives. That's what Jeremiah says. <laughs> Even often our best motives have twisted with a little bit of self in there. I loathe that in myself. And I hope that you've, you've come to loathe that in yourself. For Jesus had given Judas the opportunity to serve. Not only did he hear his teaching, but he's witnessed the miracles. But he, he, he served as the treasurer. The treasure He carried the bag. And more than that, he was one of the 70 that went out, empowered by God to preach the gospel and do healing in the villages and the town. It served the Lord. Imagine that. It always takes me back when I think of a friend of mine in a church. Uh, he, I've mentioned before, but Kurt had come to know the Lord as an adult, was an engineer, went to seminary, and uh, was a help, and, uh, and, and even stood and, and filled my pulpit there in Indiana when uh, I, I had occasion to be away. And at one point, he walked, then he walked away from the faith. And I had to confront him. He ran and ran and ran. I finally caught up to him. And, uh, and, 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 and in a loving way, confront him. How horrible that was. And he goes, oh, I know all the answers. I, already, I spent three years in grad school and this and that. And I go, like, I just said, I will pray for you, Kurt. His dear wife was a genuine believer. Three or four boys had a tender love for the Lord. And uh, evidenced after all that front row. He's sitting in the front row of hearing good theology. He went to biblical in Hatfield, so he had good seminary training, and, but renounced the faith. It, it's a reminder that privilege, like Judas, privilege in our life, privilege in, in your life and mine. 
to, to get it straight up from the Word of God. It's no guarantee. That's how bad our hearts are. That's how bad. This is spiritual warfare. It's no guarantee. Well, I got him in church. I got him. Yeah, get him to Sunday. Yeah, get him in church. Yes, be there. And, but it's a day-to-day, hand-to-hand spiritual combat. And five, just earlier that day, Jesus had even washed his feet up in the upper room. John 13. Shared a fellowship meal with him, urging him, urging him, loving him. Jesus had made a major investment in him. Think about that. You know, we think about that in business, you know, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to hire somebody because I got to do all that training. And before they even, I realize a profit from that, it takes a period of time. And depending on what it is, we have to invest. And then they may just jump ship and go somewhere else. And then you got to train someone else and someone else. and someone. This inv- Here the Lord, I mean, the greatest work of all times, invested all that time and presence in him and uh, to no avail. And he was going to betray him in the pain of betrayal of somebody that's close. You know, betrayal is one thing when it's way out there. I mean, this Snowden thing, I don't know how you think about it. You know, some think, well, he's a hero. Some think, oh, he's a traitor. You know, uh, to me, it's an academic thing. I don't feel anything about it to you. you. You probably don't. But the closer someone is to you in your life and they turn on you, it's like a sword going through It hurts so bad. Someone in my immediate or someone, you you know. But someone out there, I read, "Ah, yeah, one day he's a traitor. Next day, well, I'm glad he blew the whistle. No, he's a traitor. I I don't know emotional involvement with it for me. Maybe you do. Maybe, you know, you're on a different plane and all that. But but someone close in my family or someone in my business, someone in our our church, pains. Oh, Oh, Jesus had made a major investment. He enjoyed a great privilege. If to kiss is to love, can we say it? Then Jesus had been kissing Judas all the way through the Gospels. Jesus was not betrayed by an enemy, but by someone he had welcomed and loved as a close friend. And he betrayed, he was betrayed by one whom he loved. You know, the, the Scriptures uh, foretold this. Did you know that? In Psalm 41.9, write that down. Psalm 41.9 and Psalm 55, 12 and 13. 55, 12 and 13. These are quoted by the apostles in the early days of preaching, in the early church, uh, referring to the fact that we should have known this, that the Scripture talked about, uh, about Judas, you know, hundreds of years ahead of time. Psalm 41.9 says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me, ultimately fulfilled uh, with Judas. And then Psalm 55 was, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, but it is you, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, uh, who would betray. And so it was foretold in Scripture. Jesus, notice in verse 48, he attempts to startle him, at this kissing moment, if you will, while he's approaching him to lay a kiss on his cheek. And he does it as if to, uh, to startle him. Look at 40, 48. But Jesus said to Judas, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You know, you go, what is all this about here? Uh, it's, uh, it, it's to jolt him. You ever, you ever need to jolt somebody? They're kind of like, wake up, wake up. Uh, wake up, what are you doing? You know, sometimes we'll do that. And you go like, oh, hey, thanks, oh, I wasn't thinking, oh. 
It's kind of like that. He's kind of shaking him to startle him and, and as if to say, Oh, Judas, Judas, uh, are you sure you want to go through with this? I mean, he has warned him and warned him and warned him. And, uh, and now, uh, uh, now he's, uh, he, he is going to go through with it. It was a bitter betrayal for sure of the Lord who invested so much in him. The lesson is a warning for us. Be careful. You too may have had great spiritual prayer. You may, you may take all my notes and, and be an impressive thing. I've got all your outlines for a million years. And all the blanks are right. Oh, my. You get a VG, that's for sure, and a star. Oh. <laughs> but that's no guarantee. You might as well make a paper airplane on it. Boop. Fly that thing, right? You can have a front row seat. It's, these are heart issues, not external. Heart. We love the word of all our heart. And it's a day-by-day -day issue because so many voices cry to us and call to us. Lesser things, lesser loves. We're to love the word. Front row seat. You know, Faith and I, did I tell you, Faith and I were privileged uh, a couple months ago to, uh, to go to the, uh, the U.S. Open. I told you, Brent, I think. And uh, Zach, uh, Zach Johnson, I don't know if you know Zach. But we, we know him through our kids down in Georgia. And uh, we were visiting Sarah and Greg and the girls some time ago. It gets blurry as you get older. Anyway, some, uh, several months back, <laughs> and they said, hey, Johnsons are going to go with us. So we went out to some Japanese restaurant and all that. And, and the course of the conversation, or prior to that, hey, did you, we're going to be up in the Philly area. You guys, are, do you want to come to the U.S. Open? And Faith said, that's not tennis, is it? No, no, it's golf. <laughs> no, it's golf. And he goes, like, uh, well, I'll just leave tickets at the gate or something. I said, where is it? And we don't. We're, we are, re some of you are good golfers. We're, we're, we're clueless. We did that chip and putt a couple of times, you know. Now it's a motel up here on 15. I used to do that up there at Best Western. And they won't let us do miniature golf anymore on the island. Forget that. So anyway, we're hopeless in that. So we, we got in there and, uh, uh, wow, that was something to see. It had been raining. Oh, it was terrible mud. I still haven't worn those shoes since. I think I ruined them. But we, we got to watch, we got to watch the Open. And that, that, that's a whole, it's better to watch on TV. You can see it. I mean, I can't, we couldn't keep up with them. Going through them, and it's like an army of 50,000 people marching around. The highlight was when Zach waved the faith from the fairway. I, I thought everyone around us was going to get her, her autograph. You, you must be something. Can, you, like, will you sign my, uh, all that to say what? We had a front row seat that the, to the best of the world, I guess, right? A front row seat. Did that help my golf game at all? <laughs> I don't think so. Even putt-putt? I don't think so. You were privileged. How'd you get that? I mean, we came in the door and they said, where are your tickets? They go like, well, Zach's, who's Zach? You know, like, in, in that whole world, it's like, you know, Tiger Zach and there's a few others, I guess. And like he looked, oh, he said, oh, you got, oh, you got these, oh, here they are. Yes, come this way, you know. <laughs> so, never improved my golf game. Front row seat. Same thing is true in spiritual. You can, you can even teach the word and study the word. You can preach the word. There's a lot of men in pulpits today that really shouldn't be in pulpits. People that you can have a front row seat, and our hearts still be desperately far from where they need to be. Oh, it's a warning. Judas is, uh, 
is a reminder that privilege is no guarantee. But there's a second, Peter, in verses 49 through 50. Peter, his impulsive decision reminds us not to run ahead of the Lord, but to wait for him. Look at verse 40, 49. Uh, and when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck, that's Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, Malchus is his name, John tells us, and cut off his right ear. Peter, his impulsive decision, reminds us, be careful, we're Americans, you know, we hate to wait, we hate to wait, hate to wait, hey, we get nervous, we're going to have a heart attack, <sighs> if I don't, don't go through the drive through and they got my order right, I get home, it's not right, I don't know, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's us, you, that's who we are, that's, that's the culture, I mean, it comes so fast, but be careful in that, learn to wait. You see, the right question had been asked. It was the right question. They just didn't wait for the answer. Lord, shall we strike him with a sword? And I imagine that. Here's Judas coming. And they're like, what's this coming through? It's like an army going to come through this of Roman soldiers. And they're like, they were sleeping, right? They kind of roused from their sleep. They weren't praying and watching like they had been warned. And all of a sudden, you can see them sort of asleep falling off their eyes. And they're like, oh, oh, what's this? What's this? And then they had two swords, we know, right? Now we know that Peter had one of them. And, uh, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And before the answer, whack, goes Peter. Now I figure it's Peter, right? It's got to be Peter. Not Andrew. He was always pretty. Philip, real reserve. Well, we've got to count him up here. You know, he's the accountant in the group. You know, I got, but not Peter. He's hanging out there. You don't have to wonder where he's standing. And so the right question. Luke, uh, Luke tells us, A, uh, of the disciples alarmed, they were roused from their sleep. Here comes Judas into the garden. They've been sleeping. They had not been praying. Uh, at, so at this very hour, their reaction was less than right. Let's stop there. Now listen, if you're not where you ought to be daily, this is a day-by-day -day thing. If you're not, we said that last time. If you're not prayed up, that old expression, that uh, when, when in fact you need to make a decision, uh, you're, you, you may not be making the best decisions. You know, you need to be really seeking the Lord and ready, watching, and waiting. And, uh, and so when little decisions and larger, particularly the large ones, to be, uh, to be ready, and they were not ready, though they asked, they hadn't been prayed up, and so they weren't watching and praying, and that is our great protection, especially in the heat of battle. Uh, and so on. So Luke does not identify the sword swinger here. He doesn't. He just tells us Mark and Matthew identify us and John, John 18.10, that it was Peter. And the question, shall we strike? Uh, there's a place, uh, there is a place for weapon when with uh, self-defense and so on. Um, let, me, let me stop there because we're sort of in a day as a country kind of trying to work that out you know, in the Second Amendment and all that. Listen, self-preservation is uh, proper and right, you know, to when you're, when, when you're under threat of danger and all, a personal to, to protect yourself with a weapon uh, is, uh, is proper. That, there's nothing, just be very careful, be trained, and uh, there is a place for that. That's not what we're talking here. We're, there we're talking something illegal going on. And, uh, and so on. And then also on a national scene, there are times of weapons for just wars. There's a time for that. The Lord isn't calling for total passivity where you never, never uh, fight, you never defend, you never 
never enter into the fray. So some take that, this, and they apply. No, Edmund Burke, the great British statesman, was right. Evil triumphs when good men do nothing. And there was a time for, for men and nations to stand up against the Third Reich. Oh, we'd be speaking Deutsch right now, but that is a Deutsch. Jawohl. And, and the rest, and all the horror of that, it was horrific horror. It needed to be stopped. And in uh, a loss of life to stop that under the cause of a just war. Uh, a lot of bad things happen in war, of course. And uh, men and women of peace are the best warriors. You know, the one who's always fighting, I dare you knock it off. There, He's not the right one. She's not the right one. But when there comes a time for war, there's a time for peace and a time for war in a fallen world, there is a place for that, for nations to rise up and squelch evil. Or in a fallen world, it just proliferates. But that's not what he's talking here either. He's not talking about personal protection and defending your own life by an assault. He's not talking about national, just war, something Edmund Burke was talking about. But uh, he is talking about uh, here, the, the, these were the governing authorities of Israel. It was the plan of God. He had come to full resolution of that in the garden. And so resisting arrest would be out of place. Don't misread his passivity. Some, some overread it. And then they said, well, that's, that's what all Christians ought to be. I saw that at uh, Manchester College where we pastored for nine years. Uh, that was a, passive, a pacific uh, uh, stance uh, uh, on, on resistance that they would never fight. I, I used to listen to the professors talk. And you go down and lay in front of the tanks and everything else and, you know, like this kind of thing. You know, that, that, that's, that's not what our Lord... Don't misread his passivity. Uh, he was fully res resolved and resolute to do the Father's will at this point. God had given him strength in the garden and prayer, and now he is headed toward the cross. He would be in the tomb within, within the hours at this point. He's in the very last hours of his life. So Peter probably, can I suggest his motive? Trying to prove that he would never deny the Lord. Remember, remember he was still stinging from the words of the Lord not too much earlier. Peter, tonight, three times, deny me. I mean, that was in his mind. Can we say, I, I don't think that's hard to imagine. And so now we come with this light and darkness confrontation, the arrest scene in the garden, and Peter pulls out. And he, he goes at it. The question, should we use it? Never waits for the answer. Whack! Takes matters into his own hand. And off goes Malchus's ear. It's on the ground. There's blood on the ground, and there's iron in the air. Wow. 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 What in the world? He's going to prove, I would submit to you, that he would not deny the Lord. And he cut off his right ear. Now, it's amazing. The physician notes exactly which ear. You know, it's the right ear, not the left ear. And uh, he detached it and, um, and so on. Um, Jesus, of all people, can I remind you? Jesus, of all people, did not need anyone to defend him. Didn't need anybody to defend him. It's a funny situation. The Lord of glory, God made flesh, even in his humility. Could have called 10,000 angels. Right? He, he's the last person that needed someone, hey, help me out here, you know. Give me a hand. <laughs> it's a funny thing to think about. The, this motley group of disciples at this point in their career. 
<laughs> and Peter, you know, I'll protect you. Wait a minute. Oh, he's the Lord of glory. Wow. Amazing. Blood on the ground, steel in the air. His impulsive decisions reminds us not to run ahead of the Lord. We do that, don't we? We pray about something, then we get, and sometimes you don't even pray about it. Some things you can pray about. You just have to respond, I realize. But most of life, you can, it gives you a little time to think. And then the bigger decisions, even more time, that we ought to seek counsel, wait on the Lord until he gives us a go-ahead on that. As a church, a good thing is that we're, we're right now in this whole process of building, and uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's arduous, it's exhausting, and uh, we, get, we get told one thing, it doesn't happen, another thing doesn't happen, we go like, okay, Lord. We come to resolution on the day that you say go, it will happen. And, um, and incidentally, I've been reminded there's something far more important than building a building. It's, uh, it's called uh, the gospel in your life and mine, sanctification and salvation for those that are part of us that don't know Christ. That God is growing us and making us like Jesus. And if he can do that through this, this period of time, then it was certainly worth it. And that seems to be at least one thing that God's doing in your life and in mine, in our leaders as well. And so, uh, waiting. How many times have we go, we've, we made a, a quick decision, we didn't bathe in prayer, and we go like, and then we live to suffer through the consequences. We go like, Lord, I didn't wait. I didn't wait. Now, the Lord can give grace and help, and hopefully there are not too many big decisions that you cannot change. I mean, there's some you go through, you can't undo it. Have you ever noticed that? I talk about golf. I, I, one thing I did learn, Brenda, is a redo. I'm gonna, that was a mulligan, right? I'm going to do a re, redo. If you're a real golfer, you didn't hear what I said here. But I guess the guy, he said, you get to hit it again. And you kind of, a, re, a lot of decisions you don't get a redo on. That's, that's it. And faith is, reminds me a lot. She'll say, life is not a, 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 a what is it? What? A dress rehearsal. It's the real thing. Not a dress rehearsal. That's right, baby. I was going to say rerun. I had, <laughs> life is not. And so you don't get to, And so learning to wait on the Lord in our own life, our, our, if we're married, our children, our grands, our friends, our work, our neighbors, in a countless, Lord, teach me. I could be so often like Peter, Lord, don't, I'm not going to wait, whack. I'm like, oh, man. And then we live in the aftermath of that. I have, who hasn't done that a thousand times? Some of you look pretty holy. Oh, I've never done that. <laughs> We've all done that. How many times, right? And Peter's impulsive decision reminds us, to learn to wait upon Jesus. Oh, oh, would we? And the last is Jesus. The third reminder for us as we observe the Lord's arrest is that Jesus, his response reminds us to trust our sovereign God. That's what he's doing here. And to love our enemies. This is really amazing here. In the heat of this situation, light and darkness confronting, it reminds us that revenge is not ours. It's not ours. Betrayal, and therefore I'm going to get even, is not to be part of your repertoire. It is of the flesh. I mean, we all have that. We all walk around with it. You know, like, you did that to me, I'll see you and raise you. You know, you gave me pain, I'll give you pain and more. One man writes, when betrayed, we usually want revenge and immediately start plotting how to get it. 
there's something deeply satisfying about people getting what we think they deserve. <laughs> they got theirs. Oh, oh, oh. oh, that is from the pit. That's our flesh. That's our flesh. And it's not Jesus here, is it? Revenge is not ours. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. We are to love them, that Jesus does, trusting his Father. The Lord's going to lead him now. He's, we're to love our enemies, people that use us, betray us, hurt us. And I promise you, if you do, by the grace of God only, you can't do it otherwise, then you can't do it. You can't muster it up. You, 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 uh, all the flesh is like, wham, you hit me, I'll hit you. It's the grace of God that causes us to love our enemies and not do evil, not tit for tat, but to be kind to them and to speak kindly to them. And when you do that, people will see Jesus in you like no other time. I promise you. Because it's so counterintuitive to who we are, to who I am. I'm going to knock that over, Bill. They'll see it. And here's the Lord here. Right at this moment, he's under arrest. And Jesus performs, can I say it? This is his last miracle. And it's almost an aside. It wasn't one of the 5,000 feedings or walking on the water. <clears throat> but he's going to now do some surgery. And Jesus rebukes the disciples. Our gentle Lord loves his enemy, and he instantly heals his ear. Now, we're not sure, and I read a number of whether he picked the ear up and put it there and whoop, healed it. You know, I worked in a steel mill once. I was with the superintendent of the mill, John. I got pretty close to him that time, uh, during that uh, period of time, and uh, bore witness to Christ to him numbers of times. He's a metal urgist who happened to be a young superintendent of the steel mill, we were up on the annealing tanks, these huge German tanks for heat-treating metal, overhead crane, and the crane moved with a heavy lid off against the railing, popped his finger right off. I didn't see it. I, I, all of a sudden, he was running. He went running, and uh, I was, I, I, what happened? Blood, I saw blood, and then I figured something happened. And looking around for it, you know, you're, they, they turn black pretty quickly. I don't know if you ever noticed that. And they're always trying to reattach, and they were not able to reattach uh, John. So I often, did the Lord bend down and pick it up and do that? The physician here is noting your right ear, or did he simply go over and, whoop, you got your right ear back. Anyway, he was defending the disciples. I mean, there would have been a lot more arrests that night. This would have been like an Al-Qaeda terrorist group, and the Lord was protecting all of his own so that they were protected, and only he and that there wouldn't be any charge of insurrection against him, really, that had any meat. I mean, if that had been a fight there, then there would be grounds for that in these, these kangaroo trials that are going to take place soon. And so he instantly heals. Can I say something about the instantly heal? It just came to me. Uh, that, that healed ear is a small picture. This will encourage you. Small picture of our future restored, glorified bodies. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I mean, just, just the thought of, that the Lord takes a, if There it is. I'll bet that ear worked better than mine. Don't you think? Do you think he could? Yeah. Instantly. Just a, a sort of an aside. He loves his enemy in the midst of this to protect the disciples from 
from being the charge of, uh, of insurrection and all that. He's going to demonstrate that he is not a robber or a criminal, but one who heals and saves. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. And that was going to put them in a pickle. They were not able to even, after all night, to figure out what in the world can we charge him with that sounds even legitimate to the Romans. They were in, in consternation all night trying to figure that out. Jesus rebuked the leaders. I'm, and he says in, in this text, verse 53, listen, he said, you know, I've been teaching. I'm a rabbi. I was teaching in the temple. I mean, you could have came and arrested me there. But why with sticks and in, in swords after dark? I mean, he, he expresses, uh, 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 he's shocked uh, in, that, in essence, and he expresses it. That I'm not a common thief or a criminal. You know, you're, you're treating me as if I am by the way you're arresting me. Can we say that Jesus was the only person in all history who never took anything that wasn't his own? I mean, kleptomania, we know that someone who's always stealing. It comes right from the word to steal, klepto. He, he never took anything that was his own. But then take a step back. If you read the Bible right, it was, it's all his anyway. But in his humanity, he never, never stole the kid's lunch money, right? Never took something that wasn't his. Make him out like he was a common criminal and a thief. It's, it's grotesque, the, the evil that's going on here. I'm not a thief or a common criminal. Not. And Jesus tells him, this is your hour, verse 53. This is your hour, this hour of darkness. This was the hour that Satan and his cohorts had been waiting and working for from the very beginning to overcome and destroy God's promised Redeemer, the seed of the woman. This was the hour of Satan's power. It was an hour. What can we say about that? It's, a, it's an hour. It's limited. How fast does time go? I know it's a metaphorical use of hour, but it's a short period of time. I mean, it's going to appear Satan's going to win here, but for three days. And then when the Lord comes forth from that grave triumphantly, in the counter, in, in, in the counter conspiracy plan of God, Satan is done. So for that day and those couple days of darkness with the Lord's body still, it seemed like evil won. But it was only for that little hour. Only for that. And it was allowed by God. Jesus saying, this is your hour. Sounds like Job 1, right? Where Satan wants Job. God's bragging. It's an amazing account. Hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? This is often motivational for me. He's blameless, he's upright, he shuns evil, he, you know, and, and, and God brags on what he's done in his servant Job's life. And Satan taunts him, well, if you did this, if you did that, he would curse you. And, and God says, okay, and puts the boundary down. This far, no further. And he comes back the second time. Okay, this far, no further. See, God's God's ultimately in charge of everything, even in this dark hour. It's under God's great plan of redemption. Don't get the idea that Satan and, and God or Jesus are equal, warring it out like a tug-of-war at a good Sunday school. We're going to have that tug-of-war in your back. You get pulled on one side. And no, even this in the counter, this, this counter-revolution that God has going on 
uh, Satan is a minion that is being used freely by God's greater purpose to demonstrate God's glory, his love, his justice, his righteousness. It's breathtaking, really, when you get the macro vision here of what's going on. God allowed it. It was his plan. Satan's triumph lasted only an hour, whereas victory of God's Son would last throughout all eternity. Isn't that amazing? All of this, the betrayal, the kiss, the suffering, and death, they're under God's hour, really. It's God's plan and program. But for a short time, Satan would reign. But because God reigns over all, who sets all limits and all boundaries, he does. He does naturally. I mean, I see it everywhere I look. The natural boundaries of life, I see it in genetics, I see it in physics, I see it uh, everywhere I look. God sets the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second in a, in a vacuum, the distance from the sun to the moon, 93 million miles, quarter million miles from the moon, the spinning of the earth, the magnetism, all of these things. Genetics, they'll make, uh, uh, they'll, they'll be fruitful, and it will be after their kinds. God sets the genetic barriers there. You see, uh, cats are cats, and all kinds of cats are cats. People are people, and all kinds of people of one blood, blood, humans, and birds, and all the rest. God sets all the definitions and all the barriers. This is his world, and all real truth is his truth. To God be the glory. Marvelous indeed. Wow. Well, Satan's victory turned to defeat on Easter Sunday morning, did it not? I don't have time. I was going to read the, an account of a betrayal, a similar, which is just suffice to say, some of you may want to check it out. You know, our Bible in the English, there was a day when uh, those in authority in the church in the Middle Ages did not want the Bible in the people's hands. And uh, there was a man named William Tyndall. Have you ever heard of him? William Tyndall uh, was convinced in the scholarship that people needed the Bible. And he, he was the very first one that took the Greek and the Hebrew, and he translated it into English. And uh, for that, he was, he was burned at the stake. You know that? He fled England to Europe and was hiding and uh, had lived for a little bit there and then was finally, like Judas did at Jesus, he was betrayed by a very close friend for money. And uh, they nabbed him, and they threw him in prison, and uh, they let him sit there for a while. We have a copy of uh, his last known letter in which he was asking for clothing because he was freezing to death, some of his own clothing, and to bring the books, and within weeks of that, he would be burned at the stake, betrayed by a close friend. Oh, the wound of that. And yet he never had, and according to that letter, that last letter, we never find him having any bitterness. He trusted himself to the sovereign will of God and God's comfort and protection. They never released him. We don't know if they gave him his books and study or overcoat, but we do know this. And when it was all said and done, there were some folks that came to know Jesus. You see, the jailer there came to know the Lord Jesus through seeing Jesus and William Tyndale. And his daughter also came. And there were several others that came to know Jesus through what seemed like the day evil defeated the light, but God had a greater purpose in the life of William Tyndale, and we are grateful for him 
And I wouldn't have this in my hand today if he hadn't been willing to do what he did and paid the ultimate price and suffered betrayal. I don't know who you've been betrayed by and hurt by, and we all have been. We all have been, and it hurts so badly. But I do know that God can give you grace and healing and carry you through and use that for his glory, and he wants to do that. Lessons for our life, number one, remember, Judas was an actor. He went through the motions of loving the Lord, even giving a kiss. Don't you do that. Make sure that your heart, you examine your heart, it's a heart issue. Make sure your calling and election is sure. You can be so close to the truth daily and weekly, but still lost. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 7. Make sure your calling and election is sure. Make sure, Lord, that you are saved. I get up there, I've said it a hundred times, but my mother used to say it with seven kids. All I do is count noses. She'd be counting noses. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, you're all here. One, two, three, five, six, you're all here. We go, seven. One, two, seven, all here. And I get up to heaven, I'm going to be counting. Where? I, I want to see every one of you there. Anyone sit, like you were so close to the truth every week. Oh, that Luke study, that really, and, you're, and to miss it, don't miss it. I do it for you, I can't. Make sure you, you, you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. In the quietness here, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. I believe that you died for me. Don't delay. Number two, learn the spiritual discipline of waiting on the Lord. Oh, I, I, I'm right with you on this. Oh, I want it yesterday. <laughs> what do you want? Uh, could I have it yesterday? No. Uh, it's hard for us as Americans. But we must learn. It's a discipline. Not to run ahead of the Lord. Learn to pray about everything. Wait for Him to give you the go-ahead. He will in your heart and life. And it'll come into convergence. And you go like, you know, it's the right time. And you'll know that. It's the right time. It's the right time. It's the right place. And... It'll, it'll come together like that in your own life, personally, in our church life, and so on. This timing is perfect. Whether you can see it or not, we go like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I don't see most things coming, let's be honest, right? <laughs> like, uh, I can barely keep looking straight ahead, right? And that little expression, I say it a lot, he's seldom early but never late. Oh, that helps me. Seldom early... Like he, and if he did, he'd be like, oh, Lord, what's this? What's this? You know, I, this, anyway, he seldom, but never late. Number three, we have all suffered from betrayal, every one of us. We have. Big ways and little ways, and the hurt of that. It's a deep wound. It doesn't heal easily. But God will heal your heart. He will. And the Lord understands betrayal. He suffered so from it, from Judas and others. Give your hurt to the Lord. He'll carry you and heal your broken heart. It's the gospel in you. Knows your, he knows our weakness. He prays for it. Imagine that. Give those to the Lord. Better or bitter? You know, and if you don't do it, you're going to get bitter. I've met a lot of bitter folks, even those that name the name of Jesus. Bitter. You want to run from them, really. Or you can be better, more like Jesus. Number four, by God's grace, patient, uh, practice showing kindness and love to those who hurt you. Find practical ways of healing their ear, 
like Malchus's. And as you do, I promise you, Jesus will be seen in your life. They'll be like, wow, I can't, wow, wow. And the Lord give you practical ways to return a soft answer and to heal an ear. And Jesus will be seen in you. And maybe, just maybe then, if they're not saved, don't never heard that, they'll say, why would you do that? Thank you for asking me. You see, I have a Savior who loved me and gave himself, for, I, I deserve help according to the Bible. And he did that for me. That's the least what I can do. And I, I want to do that. He'll be seen in you with clarity. Bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Pray for them. Look for ways to serve them. Look at Jesus. Number five and last, remember, evil always has an ending. It's not forever. It's for an hour. It's a time period. Even in such dark time, remember, God rules and allows such evil for a time, but it will end one day soon. And that'd be great. I mean, the news is so bad, you know. And 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 you know, imagine what it's going to be like in in the the first uh, times of heaven. <laughs> there won't be any obituary. There won't be any crimes. Nobody breaking the house. No one stealing something. No one sexual crimes or weirdo stuff. And and no nation killing others and bombing and no bad, no, no evil. It's, there's coming a day when yeah, that's it. That's it. Just that hour, that, it's done. I can't wait, really. And I love that Psalm 30, verse 5. I often think of this. Weeping may last for a night. That's a short time. You know, we weep. But joy, I love the King James, but joy comes in the morning. Oh, may that encourage you in your heart as you think of this, the kiss of death. Oh, what a dastardly, awful, wicked thing. Wow. Oh, remember, privilege, no guarantee. Second, don't run ahead of the Lord. Wait. And third, love your enemies. God is going to use you in that, just like Jesus. Let's stand and pray, shall we? Father, thanks so much for your wonderful, wonderful word. It so encourages us, Lord, that you take sinful people like us and save us for your purpose and glory. You give us to each other. We need each other. Thank you for the love of Christ here at Grace care about each other and, and uh, just want to encourage and help as we serve you, as we make the trod through life and look toward the days of heaven. Lord, may we bless those all that we should meet this week, today, and may we be prayed up and respond right, and may we bear in our body by life and by voice the gospel of Jesus. Oh, the great news of the treasure of the gospel. Oh, we love you so. Dismiss us with your blessing now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week to serve the Lord.